Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how science fiction, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. And this is This Week on Sci-Fi Talk, and this is for the week of April 9th, 2023. Here are some of the podcasts I aired this particular week. We start off Monday with The Universe of Dune, and I remixed that, adding a musical soundtrack. Now, this version is available here, but there is a premium version available without any commercials. Let's hear a scene, courtesy of Macmillan Audio, famous scene from the book and the movie, The Gom Jabbar. Paul, this test you're about to receive, it's important to me. Test? He looked up at her. Remember that you're a duke's son. Jessica whirled and strode from the room in a dry swishing of skirt. The door closed solidly behind her. Paul faced the old woman, holding anger in check. Does one dismiss the Lady Jessica as though she were a serving wench? A smile flicked the corners of the wrinkled old mouth. The Lady Jessica was my serving wench, lad, for fourteen years at school. And a good one, too. Now you come here. The command whipped out at him. Paul found himself obeying before he could think about it. Using the voice on me, he thought. He stopped at her gesture, standing beside her knees. See this? From the folds of her gown, she lifted a green metal cube about fifteen centimeters on a side. She turned it, and Paul saw that one side was open, black and oddly frightening. No light penetrated that open blackness. Put your right hand in the box. Fear shot through Paul. He started to back away. Is this how you obey your mother? He looked up into bird-bright eyes. Slowly, feeling the compulsions and unable to inhibit them, Paul put his hand into the box. He felt first a sense of cold as the blackness closed around his hand, then slick metal against his fingers, and a prickling as though his hand were asleep. A predatory look filled the old woman's features. She lifted her right hand away from the box and poised the hand close to the side of Paul's neck. He saw a glint of metal there and started to turn toward it. Stop! Using the voice again, he swung his attention back to her face. I hold at your neck the Gondrabar. The Gondrabar, the high-handed enemy. It's a needle with a drop of poison on its tip. Aha, don't pull away, or you'll feel that poison. Paul tried to swallow in a dry throat. He could not take his attention from the seamed old face, the glistening eyes, the pale gums around silvery metal teeth that flashed as she spoke. A duke's son must know about poisons. It's the way of our times, eh? Musky to be poisoned in your drink, Almas to be poisoned in your food. The quick ones and the slow ones and the ones in between. Here's a new one for you. The Gomjabar. It kills only animals. Pride overcame Paul's fear. You dare suggest a duke's son as an animal? Let us say I suggest you may be human. Steady. I warn you not to try jerking away. I am old, but my hand can drive this needle into your neck before you escape me. Who are you? How did you trick my mother into leaving me alone with you? Are you from the Harkonnens? The Harkonnens? Bless us, no. Now be silent. 
A dry finger touched his neck and he stilled the involuntary urge to leap away. Good. You passed the first test. Now here's the way of the rest of it. If you withdraw your hand from the box, you die. This is the only rule. Keep your hand in the box and live. Withdraw it and die. If I call out, there'll be servants on you in seconds and you'll die. Servants will not pass your mother who stands guard outside that door. Depend on it. Your mother survived this test. Now it's your turn. Be honored. We seldom administer this to men, children. Curiosity reduced Paul's fear to a manageable level. He heard truth in the old woman's voice, no denying it. If his mother stood guard out there, if this were truly a test, and whatever it was, he knew himself caught in it, trapped by that hand at his neck, the Gom Jabbar. He recalled the response from the litany against fear as his mother had taught him out of the Bene Gesserit rite. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. He felt calmness return. Get on with it, old woman. Old woman? You've courage, and that can't be denied. Well, we shall see, Sarah. You will feel pain in this hand within the box. Pain. But... Withdraw the hand and I'll touch your neck with my gomjabar. The death so swift it's like the fall of the headsman's axe. Withdraw your hand and the gomjabar takes you. Understand? What's in the box? Pain. He felt increased tingling in his hand, pressed his lips tightly together. How could this be a test? He wondered. The tingling became an itch. You've heard of animals chewing off a leg to escape a trap. There's an animal kind of trick. A human would remain in the trap, endure the pain, feigning death that he might kill the trapper and remove a threat to his kind. The itch became the faintest burning. Why are you doing this? To determine if you're human. Be silent. Paul clenched his left hand into a fist as the burning sensation increased in the other hand. It mounted slowly, heat upon heat upon heat upon heat. He felt the fingernails of his free hand biting the palm. He tried to flex the fingers of the burning hand but couldn't move them. It burns! Silence! Pain throbbed up his arm. Sweat stood out on his forehead. Every fibre cried out to withdraw the hand from that burning pit. But the Gom Jabbar. Without turning his head, he tried to move his eyes to see that terrible needle poised beside his neck. He sensed that he was breathing in gasps, tried to slow his breaths and couldn't. Pain. His world emptied of everything except that hand immersed in agony. The ancient face inches away, staring at him. His lips were so dry he had difficulty separating them. The burning. The burning. He thought he could feel skin curling black on that agonized hand. The flesh crisping and dropping away until only charred bones remained. 
it stopped. As though a switch had been turned off, the pain stopped. Paul felt his right arm trembling, felt sweat bathing his body. Enough. Cold were hard. No woman child ever withstood that much. I must have wanted you to fail. She leaned back, withdrawing the gom jabar from the side of his neck. Take your hand from the box, young human, and look at it. He fought down an aching shiver, stared at the lightless void where his hand seemed to remain of its own volition. Memory of pain inhibited every movement. Reason told him he would withdraw a blackened stump from that box. Do it. He jerked his hand from the box, stared at it, astonished. Not a mark, no sign of agony on the flesh. He held up the hand, turned it, flexed the fingers. Pain by nerve induction. Can't go around maiming potential humans. There are those who'd give a pretty for the secret of this box, though. She slipped it into the folds of her gown. But the pain. Pain. A human can override any nerve in the body. Paul felt his left hand aching, uncurled the clenched fingers, looked at four bloody marks where fingernails had bitten his palm. He dropped the hand to his side, looked at the old woman. You did that to my mother once? Ever sift sand through a screen? The tangential slash of her question shocked his mind into a higher awareness. Sand through a screen. There is more of this week on Sci-Fi Talk in a moment. Wednesday's podcast was with Peter Mattei, who wrote an interesting new audio series on Audible, Scenarius, The Mysteries of M. Map out everything ahead of time so you kind of knew where you were going, or, or did it kind of come to you in waves? Once it sort of came to, to mind, I, I just decided to... Well, I had, it, I had it written as a little bit of a pitch, and I had talked to a couple of people about it, and you know they wanted to do the Hollywood route of taking it out and trying to attach stars and selling it and the whole thing. And I, you know, do that with multiple other like TV and film projects and things like that. And I was, to be honest, like just a little tired of that process. And I just really wanted to make something. And as you said, we were in the middle of a pandemic, so I just sat down and I started to write the first episode. Um, thinking I would just have that as a sample, and I couldn't stop. And I just wrote the whole, you know, it's two hours and ten minutes long, I just wrote the whole thing as a script in one go. And then I suddenly went, well, I'm not, I'm not going to try to sell this, I'm actually, I, I should just make it. So I reached out to some people in Austin, Texas, where I am now, and I got a great casting director and a great recording engineer, we just put it together uh, mm -hmm. and then just sort of did it on the, on the fly, you know. Friday featured time capsule my episode 392. I was happy to include from the new series Silo, Rebecca Ferguson. Here's one of my questions with her. Well, I think one of the main themes of this is truth and what is truth. And the silo has kind of its own and won't say anything more. Talk about that theme. It really rings, hate to say it, but true to the series. Such a lovely juxtaposition-filled word of horror. It's funny, isn't it? Because the word is what ejects Juliet into 
moving forward and into a new position and idealism. So interesting to speak about these, so generally and broad. <laughs> but it's also a word that is so misused um, and a word that a lot of people don't question. And it's interesting in this environment that is so compact. I remember, I remember um, Hugh Howey once said, he talks about the philosophy of the two mind, Rosso versus Hopper. Rosso says that society is born, we're born good and society destroys us. And Hopper said, we're born evil and society tames us. So he said he liked the idea in the books anyway to have those different idealisms and IT basically being the idea that society tames you, control, truth, the pact. And then you have something like the mechanical who is all about tactile, moving forward, fighting, having feelings and emotions. But one can't really work without the other. What is the truth? But what you first need to is ask the question, who is controlling us? What is controlling us? You know, so the truth is asked on so many different levels. And also, like I come back to philosophically, but Juliet and all the characters, what is the truth for you? Chinaz Oche's character, Billings, hides behind the truth of something that he's hiding with, with something that we can't talk about. We all, <laughs> we all have our own truths and how much we need to disclose of it. Stay tuned for more of this week on Sci-Fi Talk in just a moment. And now a bonus treat. We have Dean Devlin and Jonathan Glasner from the television series The Ark. And I just did the interview the day I recorded this. Kind of looking at you it's as nice. both of you as maybe the father and godfather of Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's a good way to put it. That's very true. That's very true. Uh, before we start, Dean, uh, very grateful that you did that event in Spain. You, even though you weren't there, you were on TV. Uh, my family originated there, so I'm very proud of that. And uh, talk about doing that. The crowd looked extremely enthusiastic. I'll tell you a story. Many years ago, when I did the movie Independence Day, um, in, in those days, you didn't open a movie worldwide on the same day. In those days, it would open in each country on whatever the best day for that country was. And very often, they were very different days. So when we opened Independence Day, we traveled the world for four and a half months, opening it in country after country after country. I mean, literally, we felt like we were a rock band on tour. Um, but it was so amazing to be in these different countries and watching the reactions. And, very, and most of the time, cheering in the same place, crying in the same place, laughing in the same place. I never felt more at one with humanity than I did on that tour. And... So doing an event like like Spain, it's just you realize that there's there's really just one race on this planet. You know, it's just the human race, and 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 these kind of events just just tie us together and make us realize we have way more in common than what we have that separates us. Mm -hmm. And also, I'd be remiss not to say congratulations for season number two, and the Thank way. You. The first season ended, we definitely need a season two because <laughs> there's some things happening. Want to throw this at Jonathan and Dean, please comment. You know, captains and first officers usually, Spock and Kirk is a great example. They work perfectly together. But this show kind of broke that mold a little bit between Lane and Garnett. Talk about that. You know, the, it, they had a really nice arc during the entire first season. Uh, was that 
it, it looks like that was part of the plan. Yeah, it was. I mean, that's how that's how Dean set it up in the pilot was uh, all of the commanding officers were killed in the accident that starts off the whole show. And um, all the most ranking officers that were remaining were three lieutenants, none of them high, you know, higher rank than the other. And it became a sort of who's in charge thing. Bryce didn't really care. <laughs> He's just going to go along. And but the other two did. And it, you know, gave us some great conflict and some great um, emotion, I think, too. I do like the relationship on the show between Angus and Alicia. You know, it kind of it obviously something like that would draw the younger viewers in, too. And it's their love of science is totally infectious. Starting with Dean, you can comment on, on that. A really great character. <laughs> well, you know, um, I've had a long history of wanting to make heroes out of smart people. You know, so it, in my films, the nerds are always the, uh, the, the most lovable, most interesting uh, heroic characters. Um, but, you know, Jonathan and I were talking about it very early on in that if you were going to try to restart humanity, aside from the knowledgeable people, you'd need a whole nother generation. And these two kind of represent the future leaders. You know, they weren't supposed to be in this position for another 10, 15 years. But because of the pressure cooking situation they're in, they have to become the best versions of themselves today. And that's really the, the theme of the whole show is, you know, um, you know, you were talking about uh, um, Lane and Garnett. Each of them has a philosophy on how you lead. Those philosophies are in conflict with each other, but neither one is inherently evil or inherently good or even inherently correct. Uh, it, but but they don't agree. And so watching that is where a lot of the drama comes from. It's 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 this this quest to do the best that doesn't necessarily get along. I mean, we I, look, I think we just watched this in our whole planet when we were faced with uh, uh, COVID. with COVID. Yeah, we didn't all just join hands and sing Kumbaya. You know, it, it, it became uh, uh you know, real differences arose, you know, when, when the stakes are high um, and opinions are strong, we have a lot of conflict. But the question is, at the end of the day, do we ultimately come together? And that's what our show is about. Jonathan, I love the diversity and the casting and everything. Um, it, was there anybody that just jumped out during the casting process at all? You know, a lot of them did, you know. Um, I would say that um, that Stacy, who plays Alicia, was one. Yeah. She, like she does on screen, she just lights up on a on camera. And when we we had to audition them via Zoom, like we're doing right now, because a because of COVID and b because they were In overseas. <laughs> um, and as soon as she comes on camera, you're like, oh God, please let her be as good an actor because she just looks perfect. For this. She looks like Alicia. So she's one. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard to say they all kind of did. Um, Richard's audition blew yeah, us away. Richard, we immediately said, you know, he's he's the perfect rogue. <laughs> um, we and, had worked with uh, Reese Ritchie before on on the output, so we um, we knew we knew how good he could be, but. This is a very different character than he played on the outpost. So, you know, he still had to audition for it. 
But as soon as we saw his audition, it was like, there's no question. This is our guy. As far as planning the series and the arc of the whole story, was everything planned out to the finale? Or it's kind of like you kind of know where you're going, but you might take detours now and then. It, you know, so somewhere between those two. I mean, we knew what the beginning, middle, and end were. We knew the character arcs, where they were all going to go. Um, how we were going to get there was not laid out until we started going episode by episode, but we always knew where we needed to end up. And we also um, discovered things along the way that changed, especially the character arcs, that changed the character arcs quite a bit. But we always knew we were going to end up where we ended up. Mm -hmm. We know where we're going to end up next season. <laughs> ah, that's good. The season finale for The Ark airs on April 19th. Check your local listings, and I'll tell you, I have seen it, and it is a must-see. Major implications for season two. It is renewed, as we talked about. All right, and that is this week on Sci-Fi Talk. All of these podcasts are available wherever you get your podcast. In addition, you can also get it at Apple Podcasts. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.